real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast. Be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. Have you considered starting a podcast for your business? Or maybe you already have one but are afraid of pod fading because you just didn't realize how much time post-production would take. I can help. My company, podseam.com, makes podcasting as seamless as possible. We help you launch, manage, market, and monetize your podcast seamlessly. We do more than just podcast editing and production. We help you leverage the power of podcasting to get new leads and grow your business. Learn more at podseam.com. That's P-O-D-S-E-A-M.com. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today is known as the Podcast Lawyer. Please welcome Gordon Firemark. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. I'm excited about this to learn more about legal stuff and for podcasters in particular. So can you tell us a little bit more about your background history and how you got into this specific niche? Oh, well, I'd be delighted to. Thanks. Yeah. So I've been practicing entertainment law, entertainment, media, and business law since 1992 when I finished law school and very quickly after law school went out on my own to do my version, my flavor of entertainment and media law. And for a long time that was theater and film and television kind of stuff and all the legal issues that around that come up around those areas and i discovered podcasting as a listener basically when i was a fan of a geeky show on a geeky channel tech tv leo laporte who is a, a big name podcaster now was the host of this show called i don't remember what it was called by the tech guys or something like that and he started a podcast when the network was shut down and i started listening to the show and it was fun and i thought i could do that that's an interesting format and as a lawyer i thought well i'll do something about entertainment law and i have a co-host and we got ourselves together a show that it's now been running for 12 years called Entertainment Law Update. And in the course of getting up and running, I realized that I had wanted to confirm some thinking about how radio works versus how podcasting and other kinds of media work. And I went looking for legal resources and there just weren't any. So I sat down and I wrote a book called The Podcasters, Podcast Blog and New Media Producers Legal Survival Guide. And when you write a book, it makes you an expert. So I have, now I have to live up to that and stay on top of it and, and all that. And I really love working with podcasters, being one myself and knowing how it goes and having an enthusiasm for the techie, geeky stuff and microphones and toys. I really enjoy being a part of the world and I'm here to help. I, I want to help folks stay on the straight and narrow, out of trouble and avoid the big kinds of problems and, and challenges that come up for podcasters. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's interesting that you found an area where there wasn't anything or any information. And You know what they say, the riches are in the niches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know if that's true. Give me, give me time. <laughs> <laughs> what specifically should podcasters be concerned with when it comes to legal? I mean, obviously the music factor and we can go into that, but like what other types of legal issues could we run into? Well, if you don't mind, let me, let me walk you through a little framework yeah. that I have that basically it all comes down to taking a professional approach to things. If you want to have success in really any field, but I'm going to use podcasting, I think you have to do three things. One is you have to start with a mindset, thinking legit, having the attitude of success. That's a little woo woo kind of a thing about 
about to have a law of attraction, but be the person you want to be so you can have the things that those people have. Be, do, have is the model rather than wait until you have everything and then you can be it. You got to be there first in your head. So think legit. Secondly is you have to plan legit. Having a business plan, having a marketing plan, having a a fallback plan in case of problems and emergencies. These are the hallmarks of a professional approach to things. And finally, then you have to, as I said, be legit, do the behave legit, do those things. And for me, there are four basic elements to the legal stuff that podcasters need to concern themselves with. First off is their business structure, entities, you know, LLCs, corporations, things like that. When's the right time? When's the, when we can talk about all of this in a second, but the legal structure, the team structure, you can't go alone. You know, you want to get somewhere, you want to go far, go together. You know, if you want to go fast, go alone is what they say. So you have to build a team and you have to do that in a way that protects everybody's rights and ownership and those kinds of things. You have to protect intellectual property. You have to look out for your own IP as well as others. And that's the area that's sort of most commonly in people's minds. Oh, what do I need to do to use music? Or I want to read a Dickens story into my microphone for my Christmas episode or something like that. And then the fourth element is that customers and clients, how are you going to make money from this? And that's not essential. Not everybody's here to make a living doing podcasting, but wouldn't it be nice if the bills got paid <laughs> by the podcast? So it's those four components that are the real I guess, of professional approach to podcasting. That first one, business entities. I'm a firm believer that people should treat their podcast like a business, even if they're not in it to make money, setting up an entity of some sort. Because if you're doing it alone, you can have your podcast with no other structure to it. You're the owner. You are it. You're working without a net. You are the podcast. The podcast is you. If something happens, those folks are going to come looking directly to you. If it makes money, that money comes directly to you. If it loses money, the money comes out of your pocket, all those things. But as soon as you start to have another person, if you have a co-host or a producer or someone like that, it starts to look like a partnership. It is a partnership and partners split things equally and it, it makes sense to get things in writing. But you're still working without that net. You are the podcast. The podcast is you. And that means anything that happens, they come looking to you. Setting up something like a corporation or nowadays, mostly it's an LLC, a limited liability company allows for some insulation from liability. That is your own personal stuff stays your personal stuff. And the company is responsible for the things that happen in the business. So yes, the, you pay taxes at the company level. That's one of the downsides, but you have that insulation from liability. You can use the company structure to set up the management and control and the division of proceeds and assets and things like that. So I, I think that's really valuable. I, I sort of refer to that as part of like a podcast prenup. You can get your co-hosts on everybody in line with here's who owns what, and here's what happens if we eventually break up and go our separate way. Who gets the house? Who gets the kid? So that takes us into the team side of things, the team structure, same issue. If you have people working on the show with you, you need to have something in writing that documents the nature of those relationships to what's the word I'm looking for to, well, just to, you know, so that there's clarity. So everybody's on the same page and has the same expectations, whether that's uh, a freelance editor or a graphic designer who does your show notes or a co-host that is just a co-host and not a co-owner. And that's the structure I have with my show. And it, it could be your researcher, your producer, anybody. And it, it pays to get these things clarified in writing because under intellectual property law, copyright law in particular, when two or more people come together to make a single work, like an episode of a podcast, they will be deemed in the eyes of the law, co-owners, joint authors of that work, unless there's clear evidence of some contrary intention. It comes down to how do you prove the intention of the parties? Well, the best way to do that is to get them to say so before they do the work, right? So that's one of the things that leads to my big crusade which is every single guest who comes on a podcast 
should sign a release form of some sort. You can do it online. It doesn't have to be mail me a piece of paper, sign it and send it back and those kinds of things. But there should be some process where they have acknowledged they understand that you own the show, that they're not getting paid, that they're consenting to be recorded because we all have a right of privacy and that that consent is being given irrevocably forever so that the podcaster can use the content in any way they want. I like to say in any and all media, you know, all that kind of stuff in my release form, which by the way is available for free to anybody who wants it at podcastrelease.com. Mm. So come on over and give me an email. You, it's not free. You have to give me your email address <laughs> to get the, the freebie. Podcastrelease.com. Anyway, so use a podcast release. That's your contract with your guest that says, I don't claim any ownership over your show, Mr. Podcast or Ms. Podcaster. I'm doing this because I have my own reasons, basically. So that's the team side of it. Everybody who works on a show, everybody who appears on your show should sign something. And that intellectual property protection starts with that agreement. You've talked about copyright on the show before. I know the, the basic rule is if you are the author of a work, you own the copyright from the moment of its inception. And it lasts for a good long time, life, life of the author plus 70 years. And you have the exclusive right to do those things, the copying, the distribution, the making derivative works, performing and displaying the work. And nobody else can do that without your permission. But that's a double-edged sword because if you want to use someone else's stuff in your show, you need their permission as a general rule. And that brings us to the, the music question that we talked about. Let, let's table that for a second and I'll finish my little framework. I know I'm talking constantly, not giving you a chance. And the fourth one is the, is the clients and customer strategy, having a clear strategy for that. And again, you don't have to have a strategy to make money, but it's nice to know how you could. Advertising is one approach, affiliates, there's lots of different approaches and each of them has their sort of legal consequences, but it, mostly it comes down to having the right contracts in place so that you know you're gonna get paid when you're supposed to and you're gonna deliver what you're supposed to deliver under the agreements and keep everybody happy. I was actually gonna ask about your opinion on a guest release, so I'm glad you covered that and I'm definitely gonna download that and, and start using that. Now for all my past guests where I haven't done that, yeah. Can I or should I send it to them to have them sign it now or would that kind of seem silly? It, it would be a little peculiar and okay. it runs the risk that the guest gets the request for the release and now they have second thought, why is she wanting me mm -hmm. to sign this thing and what did I say? You know, that kind of thing. So I would say if you've got a backlog of, of episodes and you haven't used a release, it's probably not super important to go back and get releases from everybody let the sleeping dogs lie <laughs> basically <laughs> right if it's going okay and nobody's complaining and nobody's asking you to take an episode down leave it alone until and unless you decide to repurpose that content if you were suddenly going to take the podcast and make it a paid subscription podcast you might need to do something if you're going to include it inside a course behind a paywall or something like that that's when guests start to look and say wait a minute you're making money off my performance where's my piece Mm. And that's when you want to get them. The consequence, of course, may be that you have to give them a piece in order to get them to sign the thing. Mm. But having that permission and consent is, is it goes a long way to protecting you in those scenarios. I should also say it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't have to be wet ink on paper. Use an online form. Use a, a template of some sort that when they sign up, like like we did, I signed up on your schedule to book mm. this appointment. You could have that system generate a, a page where I tick a box and type my name and something to indicate my consent. And that works really, really well. Because I think on the scheduling software I use, I think I can then send it to a landing page of some sort after yeah. 
so I could have it send to like a form if there's not a way to directly include it in the book. Yeah, I'll have to look into that. That's that's going to be. Yeah, you could probably set it up in the booking form and, and do it that way too. That's what I do. Yeah, that'll be my task for this afternoon. After this, I'm going to figure all that out. <laughs> <laughs> I gave you homework. <laughs> <laughs> So then, yeah, you were going to go into music because a lot of people wrongly assume that you're allowed to use up to 30 seconds of a song without, I guess, the whole fair use thing. But mm -hmm. that apparently is not true. After I was researching things like that, I never did that, but I looked into it and I was like, yeah, that, that seems fishy to me. All right. Well, if you don't mind, let me start at the beginning. I, you know, I already said copyright belongs to the author of the work from the moment it's created and they own those exclusive rights. That means that if somebody sits down and writes a song, they own it. Mm -hmm. Now, most popular songs have been part of a deal between the songwriter and a music publishing company. So it's the publishing company now that, if not owns, at least controls the rights to the song. And they're the ones that it's their job to find ways to make money from songs. So they don't want people playing that song without their consent and permission and a payment of a royalty or something. That's part one. When somebody then records the song, there's a second copyright because the recording. So if you want to use a piece of recorded music in your podcast episode, you've got two copyrights to consider. Then we have to consider the different rights that are implicated with using a piece of music in a podcast. The first one being that downloadable media file. When you do that, you, well, first of all, when you incorporate the song into your podcast, you're doing what's called making a derivative work. That's one of the rights in one your copyright. The second thing you're doing is making a copy for each person who downloads it, right? copy onto each device. Then you have the performance when it's streaming, that's a performance and that's a different right. Mm -hmm. And to complicate things, it's handled by a different group of people. The music publishers control the musical composition, the songwriters side of it for all these things, but they delegate the responsibility for collecting the performance royalties to organizations called performing rights organizations here in the U S that would be ASCAP and BMI. And there's a couple of the CSAC and GMR in other countries. Uh, it's, uh, names for these entities, but their job is all they do is collect these royalties for these so-called small performing rights. I'm not going to get into the, the, what large ones are, but anyway, so we've got the small performing rights. Then we've got the sound recording now in terrestrial radio traditional old broadcast radio, there is no performance right that relates to the, the recording. So the record companies were just out of luck. I mean, it was good for them because they, in the old days, radio was how they sold records. They'd play the song on the radio and people would go, oh, I love that. I want to go buy it. Well, nobody buys records anymore. <laughs> so in the digital age, they have gotten an adjustment, a congressional act to add a performance right for digital transmissions of music, of recordings. So now they do get that, and that's handled by yet another agency <laughs> called Sound Exchange. But then there's still the right to synchronize the music with what's going on in the, in the show. That's the derivative work thing. And the download, the copy, those are rights you still have to get from directly from the publisher or from publisher's agents. So it's a very complicated four or sometimes even five stop shopping mm. just for one song, one recorded song in an episode of a podcast. Try doing that every week with more than one song. It gets to be a real big hassle and expensive. So unfortunately, there's no good way to use popular music in a podcast episode yet. I know some folks are working on it. The guys at podcastmusic.com are trying to develop a subscription license system where you would pay them a monthly or an annual fee and you would have access to all the music in their 
in their catalog. And there's another, a few other companies like that doing it. The problem is their catalog is not very deep. There's not a lot of stuff in there. And you're probably never going to get to use the Rolling Stones and the Who and the Beatles without directly dealing with the owners of that stuff. So not to say it's impossible. It's just hard and expensive. So uh, unless you've got the the bankroll behind you, <laughs> yeah. they want to think about using stock music or, or one of these subscription services, some of which are really good. And if you're not, if it's not about using a particular song because you want to be the next hot radio DJ, that can be a really good solution. Yeah, I was going to ask your opinion on that. I've heard of podcast music and I know there are a few others that have stock music. Are there particular ones that you recommend? Maybe that have music and even sound effects even. Yeah, a lot of them do have sound effects libraries as well. But stock music is is a different category than what I'm going to call songs. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's songs in the stock libraries, but it's available. Anybody who wants to can get that song and use it. And I guess that's true of anything, but it, it tends to be sort of generic sounding mm. plain sounding music you know oh i've got i want a western melody so you hear the big french horn soaring sound with the violins and then the trumpets so but about you know that kind of thing and that can be fine if you're just looking for a little bed music or something to do as a transition if you want something as a little more pop music sounding a little more i don't want to say the word real music but you know what i mean a more custom sounding or, or more like what we're hearing on the radio and in the pop charts then these subscription services are a little better podcastmusic.com is one the guys over there are great i'm actually going to be speaking on a panel with them next week at podcast movement in Nashville. And then another one that I use a lot is Epidemic Sound, where as long as you remain a subscriber, you have access to their whole catalog. And they've got lots of different genres and they have sound effects and things like that for, I think it's about 15 bucks a month is the, is the fee. So not outrageous. Similar mm. to what you pay for hosting. That helps because I think a lot of people think they can just use anything and everything as long as it's within however many one, seconds. One, one caveat I want to give is there are some of the stock services out there that you essentially you pay once for the song and that's what they call royalty free because you're not paying ongoing every time it's used, but you've got to be really careful about paying attention to what the license agreement actually allows. I've seen a situation where somebody bought the song thinking they could use it as the opener for their show. So they paid the 35 bucks, they download the song, they put it in the opening of their show, and then they do episode two and episode three and episode four. Now you've got it in five or six or 10, however many it was. And then they get an, a note from the licensing company saying, you only licensed it for single use. Oh. So they were going to have to pay $35 for each episode of the show. Now that may or may not be outrageous depending on the scope of things, but you want to know that kind of thing going in when you're making an informed decision about what to buy. So read carefully. Yeah, because I, I know there's several of those like royalty-free sites where you can download and then use it. So there, when you do that, there's going to be some sort of like terms and conditions or something. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah, you want to, you, you know, when you're buying, usually there's a link right there before you mm -hmm. click buy, you know, make sure, are you, are you buying the standard license or the extended license or whatever? And you want to read and make sure you're using the right one. And on some of the services, none of them actually allows for multiple uses and some do. So I, I don't want to recommend particular brands, but some are better than others. Mm -hmm. Just got to be careful. Interesting. I'm going to have to go back and look at that. And by the way, please, this is not a cause for everybody to be worried and start panicking. Yeah. It's just something to sort of have your eyes open when you do these mm -hmm. things. So one main thing we need to think about is the music. Another would be guest release. Mm -hmm. Another would be if you have a team of some sort or co-host yeah. or co-owner, all that stuff. Is that about it? Those are the main. Uh, you know, an another issue that I see coming up a lot for podcasters is conflicts with their title. So yeah, ask yourself this. If you are choosing, if you're starting a new show and you're just choosing a title, 
do a com as detailed a search as you can, not just Google, not just the iTunes or the Apple music store, you know, Apple podcasts do as broad a search as you can. There are search companies out there that can really do a name availability search. And I would recommend spending a little money on that because it's always going to be worse to change the title after the fact, if you've, if you've got five, 10, 50, hundred episodes in, and then you find out there was somebody else out there with a conflicting title and they were there first. You want to figure that out. Choosing a title for your show, it should be distinctive. That is not just plain vanilla generic. I'll tell you, do as I say, not as I do. My show is called Entertainment Law Update. Pretty much can't be more descriptive of what the show is than that. So over time, because we've been doing the show for 12 and a half years now, we've acquired a distinctiveness. Our audience has connects it with us. It's a secondary meaning to them. And that means we're entitled to trademark protection, but normally a descriptive or generic term isn't. So choose something distinctive and not purely descriptive or whatever. And that doesn't confuse with other shows. If you ask yourself, will it hurt? If someone else comes along and uses the same title as mine or something that's very similar, would that confusion be a bad thing? And I think the answer is usually going to be yes. That's when I say maybe you want to think about registering a trademark for the title of your show. And you can do that anytime in the life of your show, but earlier is better. Of course, the way trademark law works is that these distinctive words and symbols and marks are that are used to identify a source or origin of certain goods or services. For example, an entertainment content show or a downloadable audio file, you can protect that against confusingly similar titles and, and names. I had a train of thought that has now left the station without me. Anyway, so, so yeah, registering a trademark is a good way to protect against that confusing similar show title problem. There's an expense to it, but it's a, a preventative measure, I guess you could say. And uh, as long as it's distinctive, you should be able to get it registered. And, and I recommend registering in both for the downloadable and for the streaming version of things because they're one's a service and one's considered goods. By the way, I, I need to just say, I'm, I'm not here to give anybody any specific legal advice. And, <laughs> and just because I'm a lawyer and you're hearing my voice doesn't mean I'm your lawyer. So mm -hmm. everybody listening, just be, be mindful of that. And what you're hearing here is I'm trying to be as general in the information as I can. So let's see. So people, if they want to learn more, can go to thepodcastlawyer.com. And yep. then you also have the Easy Legal for Podcasters, which has different forms and templates for podcasters. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, Easy Legal for Podcasters started out as a, a library or, or, you know, a, a store where you could buy individual templates and forms, things like a co-host release or a release for your graphic designer, you know, those kinds of things. And I realized that a lot of people needed a little more instruction. They need a little more understanding of that framework that I laid out for you. And the, not just the why and the what, but also the how to do it, whether it's forming that LLC or corporation or registering a trademark or copyrights and trade secrets and all those. Things. So I created it as a course with all these templates and forms and the forms are available a la carte as well. But I think the course is a great deal. It's called easy legal for podcasters. And is that just easy legal for podcasters.com? .com. Okay. Yeah. Or, or go to the podcast lawyer.com and there's a link there too, I believe. Oh, okay. If there isn't, there will be later. today. <laughs> and then the legal survival guide as well. Your book, people can grab there as well. Uh, yeah, podcast law book is the way to get that. Oh, okay. Okay. Podcast law book. And then, or gordonfiremark.com if they want more general information. And then I'll have shown. That's sort of the hub of the wheel. Yeah. The, everywhere. Everything leads from there. So. Okay. So maybe that's the place to send them. Gordonfiremark.com. Yeah, gordonfiremark.com. Nobody's going to forget that. And nobody else is going to take the name either. <laughs> 
I'll also have show notes with links to all of these at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash podcast law. Well, thank you so much for your time. And was there anything else that you wanted to say in closing? You know, I just wrap up by again, suggesting, hey, even if you're not in this to make money from your podcasting, even if you're not about it being your business, it does pay to be professional in the approach to things because let's face it, people respect a professional attitude, a professional approach. How many times have you encountered someone who just is sort of half-baked about everything they do and you don't think very high of them? So being professional, that partly in podcasting, we often talk about being consistent, showing up every week with your episodes, those kinds of things. That's part of professionalism too. So having a professional approach, being business-like about it, even if it's not your business. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. It's great to meet you. Do you have a podcast that isn't growing the way you want it to? There may be a simple reason for that, but you aren't sure how to decipher what the problem is. That's where a podcast audit comes in. I am offering a new service where you send me a podcast episode of your choice and I audit the podcast for your cover art, podcast name, intro and outro, episode titles, format, sound quality, production value, episode graphics, length, flow, on-air performance, calls to action, podcast directory discovery, podcast website, show notes, social media presence, and more. I am offering this service for just $97 for a limited time. Get your audit today at podseam.com forward slash podcast audit. That's P-O-D-S-E-A-M dot com forward slash podcast audit. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack, connect with fellow listeners, share your thoughts on episodes, engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.